0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: After the US was convulsed by the Black Lives Matter movement, sparked by the killing of George Floyd, people all over the world took to the streets demanding greater efforts to defeat racism where they live. Police forces, for example, have had to confront their own record on racism within their ranks, and so have many other businesses and industries including the media. They've been forced to ponder whether they're part of the problem or part of the solution. Earlier this month here on MediaWatch, we heard how one journalist who was asked to write about the issue for the New Zealand Herald was challenged by some of her sources to actually address the issue at the Herald itself. So she turned the lens on its own publisher, NZME, prompting the Herald's editor to say, we will do better. Now RNZ has been challenged on this in the past as well and has also promised to do better. RNZ has a statutory duty set out in its charter to reflect New Zealand's cultural identity, including Māori language and culture. So how is it doing on that these days? Hayden Donnell reports. In an interview on RNZ's midday report
2: in June, the chair of a Māori-led inquiry into Oranga Tamariki, Dame Naita Glavish, got stuck. She couldn't find the right words to say in English for many hosts that might have caused an awkward impasse instead this happened i find it
0: absolutely appalling that that our minister of the crown could use a throwaway comment even if it was true um, to abdicate her responsibility to her portfolio i, I, I haven't got the i've got the proper english
1: okay well katae quickiti kure romarie panakitera
0: na koyete na takwe e e matri kari ka tu na kiwe na kore rokhote mai ake e karo kawa e huna he na ko put mai taiya ke woh ha karo ke he ke wah mai mauri mo tatal to mari ki moko punai roto wi wo rina rina
1: it newa so you have essentially said to the minister not to hide and and to front up on this. Just another comment that she made was that she wasn't asked to officially respond to this report. If she hasn't been asked that, what do you expect of her?
0: Well, I want to see her take responsibility for the failure of in
2: its you might not have heard that exchange on RNZ National eight years ago, when as an intern, Marnie Dunlop got censured for signing off a report in Tamaki Makoto instead of in Auckland. Her interview with Dame Nida was a sign of a change in RNZ's attitude to te Māori on air. But it was also a reminder of what the broadcaster is still, for the most part, missing. Aside from Marnie Dunlop, First Up's Indira Stewart and the panel's Wallace Chapman, the hosts of RNZ National's flagship daily news and current affairs programmes are all Pākehā. Its popular weekend morning shows are now both fronted by Pākehā as well. That's reflected in the station's listenership. According to figures cited during its ill-fated push to launch a youth station, RNZ National's audience is more than 90% NZ European. Back in 2016, RNZ was harshly criticised for that lack of diversity by Willie Jackson, now Associate Minister of Māori Development, but then the Chief Executive of Urban Māori Broadcaster Radio Watia. On Media Watch, he clashed with RNZ's then Head of Content, Carol Hirschfeld.
3: You're more likely to hear a bird before a Māori uh, a presenter. Uh, in 91 years on this uh, station, we've never had one front-line Māori presenter. I mean, you should think about that, Carol. You are, you've been an outstanding presenter yourself.
0: We have no, Justine Murray who is presenting to ahe
3: I'm talking about frontline Monday to Friday. I'm talking about morning to night. I'm talking about morning report. We're talking about the, the afternoons. That's what we're talking We're not talking about weekend shows. Why, and, and, why wouldn't we
0: be talking about weekend shows? Because, where's the because,
3: distinction? Because, because Māori programmes have always been ghettoised into the weekends. We want to hear people like Mihi Forbes fronting uh, shows during the day. In 91 years, we, we never had, and you'll recall some of these broadcasters, Henare Te Ua, Derek Fox, Selwyn Muru, we've had Julian Wilcox, Shane Taurimu, Stacey Morrison, all these people yourself, Mihi Forbes, are you telling me... Carol, not one Māori is good enough to front a frontline national radio news show. I'm absolutely not telling you that, and and I'm looking you in the eye and I can tell you that
0: we certainly are addressing that situation. And I'm I'm
3: sure you are, but it's an indictment on this organisation that that is an example of institutionalised racism in this country, because they have clearly preference Pākehā culture over Māori culture.
0: But you need to give us a chance to change <clears throat> Willie,
3: and we are changing it. Well, I, I accept, I, I accept.
2: That was Carol Hirschfeld arguing with Willie Jackson on Media Watch back in 2016. Though he disputed some of Willie Jackson's claims about the low level and range of Māori content, RNZ's chief executive, Paul Thompson, did say the thrust of his argument had merit. Soon after, RNZ released a strategy for a long-term commitment to Māori news journalism and to deal. It promised to promote the use of te reo Māori across RNZ's platforms, introduce a Māori journalism internship, and employ outstanding Māori staff in key roles. So how well has RNZ addressed the problem it acknowledged more than four years ago, and what's the plan from here? I spoke to Paul Thompson about RNZ's efforts to ensure diversity in its staff and content, and asked whether it's doing enough to serve the interests of all New Zealanders. The answer is, we're not. Um, but it's really
4: hard you know, in any media company with limited resources to decide how you are going to look after current audiences who, who are really important while also making sure that we um, are ambitious about being able to connect with younger audiences at the same time those numbers um, tell their own story but you know, the, the, there's another set of uh, data that I want to share with you which sort of puts a different light on it. So we, if you look across the whole population, and this work is done by Colmar Brunton, mm. 59% of New Zealanders each week consume RNZ content now, and that's either through um, our radio stations, our digital content, and through our third-party content-sharing arrangements with all the media companies in New Zealand, which is a pretty good number. That's you know, nearly 6 out of 10 New Zealanders the proportion of 18- to 34-year-olds who come to us each week is just a shade lower than that at 57%. So while we still have some really big challenges to make sure that we are there for all the people, as our charter requires, our strategy is starting to give us some more diverse audience. But, of course, we don't just want to rest on our laurels.
2: These stats actually talk about New Zealand's ethnic makeup. So we... Our audience at uh, at RNZ is 90% uh, Pākehā, or NZ European, and that compares to sort of 60-something percent of the actual population. And
4: Those are are on-air numbers, so yes, definitely when you're talking about um, our listeners to our radio stations, they skew more Pākehā and older, definitely. If you take a broader look... We are getting to more diverse audiences through different means, but that doesn't take away the challenge that you're you're putting in front of me.
2: Yeah, so I guess the problem there is that you know RNZ is one of the two biggest taxpayer-funded broadcasters in the country, uh, and it's not just older Pakeha people that pay taxes. It's Māori and Pacifica people, it's Asian people that pay taxes, and are they really getting, I guess, value for money at the moment? Our charter talks
4: about us being there for all of New Zealand and catering for all age groups, all ethnicities. You have to say that there, we need to do a lot more. The strategy, as I've explained, is getting us some of that diversity, but there's much more to do. The quality of the content for those audiences um, is very high, and that's available, while we see to all people. But I think your question of whether we can do better, absolutely, we, we have to do better. And we can't just sit there and go, well, you know, it's too hard to look to adapt to new audiences and new ways of that they want to consume content. Those audiences, which are hard to reach, won't want to consume the content that works for other audiences. So you need to do new things.
2: And one of the efforts that you actually made to do a new thing, the youth station, obviously was actually aimed at uh, appealing to younger and Māori and Pacifica audiences. Now that that's been shelved, what are you actually doing to appeal to those audiences?
4: It's not quite right that it's been shelved. I thought the interesting thing about the RNZ concert controversy was that the government's position was that RNZ needs to be there for all audiences, older and younger, and as a result of that they invited us to um, talk to them about the options around those frequencies which um, are tagged for a youth radio station in New Zealand. That invitation still stands... COVID has since intruded and we've just put that um, thinking on ice. We want to do what we can in the next few months to start to do some new things for those younger audiences. So we're doing some more research to make sure that we get the proposition right, that we understand what those audience needs are. And what it's likely to be is a, a raft of new content tailored for those younger audiences Um, It's likely to make use of RNZ's expertise in the live recording of music. We'll definitely be working with our industry partners to share the content everywhere we can. Uh, A good example of that is New Zealand Hip Hop Stand Up, which will be released later this, this month, which I think is a good example of us starting to look at how we can connect with these people. But we think that we need to be where the audiences are, and some of these younger audiences are never want to, never necessarily wanting to come into RNZ National or RNZ Concert, and we shouldn't try to force them to.
2: Having said that, it's not just the younger audiences, it's these diverse audiences, and there yes. is an opportunity there. So in 2016, you were on the receiving end of a pretty scathing broadside from Willie Jackson, now Labour MP, and one of the things that he said is uh, you're more likely to hear A bird before a Māori presenter on RNZ National. So, above all else, RNZ has never had a non-Pākehā host for any of its flagship daily shows. And he was talking then about Morning Report, 9 to noon, Afternoons, Checkpoint, Nights. Mm. That was in early 2016. And the question is, why hasn't that changed? Uh, Well, it it is changing.
4: Um, Armani Dunlop is now um, doing a fantastic job hosting a much-strengthened midday report, Marnie's brought her te reo skills, her knowledge of te ao Māori to that job. So, yeah, we have got um, a change there, which I think is worth noting. And there's lots of good things that have happened in that time. And um, we've got an absolutely top Māori news reporting team that lead the way in setting the news agenda and, and their work is front and centre on all our programmes. The use of the reo has definitely blossomed in RNZ since that time. In normalising the use of, of te reo as part of New Zealand life, Jim Mather is now the chairman of RNZ and the former CEO of Maori Television is bringing a very strong uh, Maori perspective to that job and being very challenging for us. So I think we're we're making good progress, but there's lots more to do, and I'm certainly not complacent about the challenge ahead.
2: But when you look at those big ones, the big ones that Willie Jackson was talking about, you know, Morning Report, the biggest show that there is on RNZ, you know, been 95 years, and there's still never been a non-Pākehā host for any of those shows.
4: Well, the challenge is still there, but we are absolutely looking to build capability so that all sorts of talent representing all of New Zealand is flowing through into those positions. But, you know, again, Hayden, if I can just gently challenge your sort of focus on presenting roles and radio output, the blossoming of voices and perspectives today a language and if you just look at RNZ Pacific, our um, you know really highly skilled team uh, covering the Pacific, all of that work is represented not just on air but also in every bulletin. It's in our website, it's through the journalism we do, it's the special programming we do. So we're definitely getting a good flow of diverse content and talent coming through. But we are still, I, I talked at the time of taking baby steps in this regard, we're still taking toddler steps we're now going to be making sure that we can take bigger strides in the next few years. And my key concern has always been to make sure that as we build that capability into RNZ that it's locked in and there in a lasting way so that it never goes away. And I hear this um, challenge and criticism from my staff and our audiences all the time, but we're going to keep working on it.
2: If you were to do a stock take... Of your, just your two, say, flagship news shows and the press gallery. So these are the really important places where all perspectives need to be represented. So, Morning Report, Checkpoint, the press gallery, would the makeup of those shows, the staff, uh, the reporters, even the producers, would they reflect the diversity of New Zealand?
4: No. But that does not mean they don't bring um, elements of diversity and that they're thorough professionals and that they do a really good job of. Presenting a, a balanced program that represents all of the news that's happening in New Zealand, including from those communities. But no, no. I mean, if you just look at strictly in those terms, no.
2: Having said that, what specifically are you going to do to address that lack of diversity, and what's your deadline for achieving that?
4: Uh, it's an ongoing process. It's not easy. But I think it does come down to those two objectives which I talked about, which is to make sure that our audiences represent all of New Zealand and that our staff represent the audiences that we are there to serve. It is a multi-year ongoing challenge. We have, as I've said before, um, uh, some work that we are going to do to actually understand the makeup of our staff better and make sure that our recruitment and retention um, policies and programmes Actually, help us to achieve that goal of reflecting the people of New Zealand. It's not going to happen quickly, but we are. Um, we
2: think it's really important. It could happen quicker, though. We have many great Māori broadcasters, and RNZ is actually evidence of that, um, and producers.
4: Yes, I'm not it, going to deny that.
2: Could it go quicker?
4: Um, well, it, it'll go in a way where we make sure that we. Lock that capability and and it's lasting and enduring.
2: I just want to go back to the presenting just briefly because this is. Are, we, are you going to address this this issue of the makeup of some of these uh, shows?
4: Uh, yes, it's absolutely looking to get the best people into all of those presenter roles. But it goes beyond the presenter roles, and I know that that's where your focus is, Hayden. But it does go beyond that. It's around every part of the organisation. It's the senior ranks, it's the managers, Mm. and it's making sure that they represent and reflect all of New Zealand's uh, population. If you look at our two biggest challenges as an organisation, one is to make sure our audiences reflect New Zealand's diversity, and that's really important because RNZ is the public's broadcaster. We create that essential, commercial-free public space for citizens. The other big challenge is making sure that our staff make up on both sides of the micro- microphone, yep. from top to bottom, reflect all of New Zealand's diversity. Loads of absolutely,
2: energy. and I, I think I did an interview with Māori TV's head of Gardner, and he actually made that same point that it's probably more important in some ways that there are Māori producers, Māori managers. You know, um, he was talking about Māori, but this is actually, I guess, diverse managers, producers and leaders like you. So we have, you mentioned Jim Mather, we have this diverse uh, board of governors, but is RNZ's executive team and uh, the ranks of our producers, uh, have you done a stock take of the diversity there?
4: We're doing that work this year. We do need to know who our people are to be able to make some set some targets to grow the diversity over time. And look, we're not alone in this. Every organisation in New Zealand, not to mention every media organisation, has this challenge. Big part of the challenge is that the people from diverse backgrounds they're very, very keenly sought after. They have lots of job opportunities, and it's hard to recruit and retain them. And that's why things like the Hinari to Ua journalism Mm -hmm. uh, internship—I think we're now about to go out and get our fourth intern. That's so important because we then bring that diverse talent into the organisation.
2: This is actually something that uh, Teuila Fuatai mentioned to me about uh, NZME. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she just said that, you know, maybe these the leadership of the paper and the leadership of the organisation there is coming from a Pākehā perspective mainly, and is that also true of RNZ, and are stories getting lost as a result? Uh,
4: Look, I have um, no problem saying that the challenge for RNZ is to make sure we're not a Pākehā organisation, but it is a challenge. If you listen to our radio stations, if you listen to our bulletins, mm-hmm. if you read our our written content, if you look at our video content, there is no doubt that diverse communities, diverse perspectives, the position of Māori as the treaty partner all comes through very, very strongly and more strongly than ever in our content. It's not unusual to have those topics, a Māori story, leading morning report, very high up in the bulletin. So we actually have moved the dial quite significantly there. But there's lots more to do.
2: RNZ doesn't have people in places like day and Tairawhiti and the East Cape. Uh, there's no RNZ journalists there currently. And that's those are the places where Māori people live, uh, where the communities are more diverse. Is oh. there a willingness to station staff in those communities in the future?
4: We have five or six um, regional offices at the moment and they do um, absolutely provide another component of representing the nation to to our audiences. But we're always constrained by um, availability of funding and we can't do everything. So I would absolutely love to build out a stronger regional network and if we get the opportunity to do so We certainly will do that, and it's been a theme of all our discussions around budget bids with the government in the last couple of years. We think it's really important.
2: But you can always juggle around funding. You can prioritise certain things and deprioritise. Absolutely,
4: and that's what we do all the time, and it's never easy, and there are always trade-offs. So we'd like to do it, but at the moment we're not in a position to do that. I will point out, though, that uh, we have been the driver, along with the publishing industry of the local democracy reporting service, which has put eight... Reporters into regional newsrooms, including those regions you've mentioned, and that is now going to almost double, I think, up to 14 in the next 12 months. So we are certainly, through the Local Democracy Reporting Service, driving some of the um, placement of of new journalists into those regions, and obviously RNZ and our audiences benefit from that because we have access to that content and we help manage them. But there's, but there's lots more to do, and this is a time for every organisation, every CEO, to do soul-searching about this.
2: Is your message in conflict with each other? Because when you were sort of asking to set up the youth station, you're like, well, we're not, we're not serving these 20- to 40-year-olds very well, and we're not serving Māori and Pacific very well, but when, I guess, there's a criticism of RNZ, you're, uh, you're defending how those audiences are served. No,
4: I'm just pointing out that it's incorrect to say that we don't connect with them more than we did in the past. Absolutely we're getting some of that connection going and we're doing it on their terms and ways that work for them but if you think about the commercial free public broadcaster creating that public space for all citizens, we have to think about doing new things for new audiences and that's where the um, proposed service for young New Zealanders, that's what was driving that and we need to go back to the drawing board which is what we're doing because we're not going to give up so I'm sorry if there's any suggestion that I'm dismissing the the criticisms that you're uh, levelling today. I think they're really valid. We're proud that we're making progress, but we know we're just at the beginning of this, and I think locking it in forever so that it it becomes an enduring part of what RNZ provides is really important as well.
2: I want to raise something that's been lobbed by a reporter like Wesley Lowry. He's a former journalist at the Washington Post. That's whether newsrooms, whether consciously or not, they report with a white audience in mind. And and content is tailored for white audiences and diverse perspectives, in his case uh, black perspectives, are treated as bias uh, when they just see them as objective truth. Is that an issue for RNZ particularly given most of the station's audience is white, is Pākehā?
4: I think it's something that we need to wrestle with as a news organisation and again we're not alone in that and I wouldn't make a direct comparison with Um, that reporter's experience with, you know, what it's like living in New Zealand. There'll definitely be similarities, though. But we have this special obligation that I've talked about earlier in the interview to be there for all people. So we need to really scrutinise any area where we do have bias, where we're unconsciously marginalising viewpoints, where we're making assumptions which don't stand up to scrutiny. And that comes down to really robust editorial standards and making sure that our staff are well-supported and well-trained and we have the right people doing that work. I think if you listen to RNZ or read RNZ or look at our content, you can see that those perspectives are there and they are growing. But I think it's something which we should be really vigilant around and really working, working, working
2: through. And you and you and you do actually have a strategy. Uh, one of the things that you actually ask for is eighty hours of Maori programming, uh, I think a year, a thousand articles about Maori issues. This is three years ago that these targets were set, but one million page views for Maori stories. How are you measuring up to some of those targets?
4: We're we're meeting all of those targets and exceeding them in some in some instances. But the Maori strategy is much bigger and wider than that. It's never been about only about dedicated uh, Maori programming. It's that sits in its own part in the schedule. That's important, but it's never only been about that. It's been about making sure that uh, Maori stories, uh, voices, perspectives, are part of the fabric of everything we do. And yeah. that, that, that's starting to happen. It is happening. But again, I'll point back to that point. I, I, I like to think that it will be enduring.
2: How much of a factor is the pushback from RNZ's mostly older Pākehā audience in terms of how fast these changes are being made?
4: Um, I don't think it's a factor at all. Uh, There's always a tug of war in every media organisation between the existing audiences who you need to look after and cater for and new audiences in the context of changing demographics and ageing audiences. So you always have this tug of war between continuing to do what you do well and looking to do new things. We are striking a balance between those two things, and it's never easy because there's always limited resource. Media chain, we're a relatively small media company compared with the other major media companies. We're the most trusted media source in New Zealand, and it suggests to me we're getting that balance right, but it's something you get up every day and think about again and work on again.
1: Hey, thanks so much for joining me, Paul Thompson. Thank you. RNZ's Chief Executive Paul Thompson talking to Hayden Danil there. Now you can hear more of that interview online. It's on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website, rnz.co.nz, or the MediaWatch section of the RNZ app, or you can get it in our podcast feed. And RNZ's most recent Māori strategy is set out in its Statement of Performance Expectations for 2018, and that can be found on RNZ's website. Just look for the tab About RNZ at rnz.co.nz.